0: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 471. The Warsaw Radio Mast in Poland was the world's tallest structure from 1974, when it was completed, until its collapse in 1991. And it's still the world's second tallest structure ever built after the Burj Khalifa. Pretty impressive, except it did collapse. Lightning
1: struck in an open plain, and we forgot this old city's name. See your breath on window pane. Let's just talk till it strikes again. On my way through. I saw you on my way through.
0: Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today are two people on the world's longest honeymoon, are people who, whenever I seem to hang out with them, are always partying and authors of not one but two national geographic books my good friend mike and ann howard from honey trek guys thanks for joining me a huge huge welcome
1: thank you yeah dude thanks for
0: having us been a long time it has been a long time
2: what a a
0: reputation (laughs) well well, i think the the real reputation is the world's longest honeymoon like that's (laughs) that's one of the best easiest taglines like when I'm thinking hey what am I going to say about Mike and Ann there's like a million things I could point to oh I forgot have their own Microsoft commercial that was another one I was (laughs) going to throw in there but like the world's longest honeymoon quippy quick elevator pitch and people must be like huh like I, I get what all those words mean but together what's the story behind it so what is the story behind the world's longest honeymoon
1: well, they say everybody needs to pick a niche, right? They tell you that when you're trying to pick your blog. So we weren't even going on a honeymoon. We just figured that'd be a good niche. And-
2: you're joking. Yeah. So <laughs> no, honestly, we weren't trying to start a business. We weren't trying to like be the world's longest Guinness book record winner, or any of that. It was honestly like this realization about like life is short. There's so many things we want to do. Honeymoon's a perfect opportunity to like get started. But we that two weeks is so super not going to cut it. And then it became, you know, we'll set aside a year and then okay we, we're gonna need two years and then basically it's been nine nine years have gone by and there's still so much in the world we want to see uh, we've been to 62 countries and all seven continents and like somehow like our just insatiable you know need to keep traveling has not stopped and I'm be- nearly a decade later
1: and people ask like well one is it is it truly a honeymoon yeah it is we we do lots of uh it's more like an adventure honeymoon it's not you know from Oberoi Resort to. Amon like every week is, you know, five star service. We mix that in occasionally. But um, yeah, we have not had a home base or an apartment or a house since December 2011. So it's been like full time nomad life 365 on the road. Uh, And it's been it's been pretty awesome.
2: So to, sort of the honeymoon side. we've tried all sorts of styles of hotel of like types of lodging and from That's backpacking right. to house sitting. but we have reviewed over 200 boutique hotels and glamping camps around the world to kind of you know keep keep it on the fancy side. but like anything, we like to mix it up. We might hitchhike between you know a, a resort to the to the next. So it's all about mixing up.
0: That's the best. I, in my mind, I'm just picturing you guys like walking out of like this super fancy resort, right? with your backpacks, like, oh, that was great. We just went to the spa, put the thumb out, get picked oh, up and drive down the road, walk into another super fancy resort. But that's what keeps it interesting too, right? Oh yeah,
1: 100%. Yeah. And, there, and there's multiple examples one that popped right to my mind was we were communicating with the, this um, called Ambion, you've heard of beyond They do big safaris in Africa, like you know, three grand a night for the rooms there. And we're communicating with them and we're like, oh, we're coming from this town to get to you. And they're like, oh, cool. Well, we'll have a driver come and pick you up. And we're like, is that included? They're like, no, it's like only like 250 bucks. He'll come pick you up in in the Range Rover. And we're like, we'll make it there on our own. Like, is there a bus there? They're they're like, he's like, no, no, there's no bus. I'm like, well, your dishwashers and and maids get there somehow. She's like, "Uh, yeah, I guess they do. And then she doesn't even find it out. She has
2: Yeah, she goes and asks one
1: of the maids. She's like, how do you get here? And she's like, oh, there's like three buses a day. It's like does like 95 stops. So we're riding the bus literally with Maasai warriors with like the red clothes. Their spears are sitting like two seats over from us.
2: Yeah, all the
1: food. So we're on this bus and we pull up and we're telling the bus driver like, oh, this is our stop right here. And he's like, what do you mean? And we're like, oh, we're going to this hotel. Never happened before. He stops in front of the hotel. The air, you know, we get out the air brakes. You know how they like push that dust when like a big truck stops. Dust goes all over us. We're like piglet and like whatever, the, the peanuts. <laughs> the bus pulls away and we're standing there with our bags and the guys, the, the whole team is out there with like hot towels and, or cold their, towels. Their
2: jaws are dropped. The whole bus is like <laughs> jaws are dropped. It was like world's climb. We're like, thanks guys, check you later. Oh, yeah,
1: everybody. see you, most, Warriors. And then we walk <laughs> into this resort. It was like the craziest, surreal <laughs> experience.
0: Oh man, when you guys started out on this, you said it was like, originally you thought it was going to be a year, then you thought it was going to be two. Now you're like, yeah. Hey, it's nine. And, and we don't really have any plans on stopping. What has there been a point that you did think about? I don't want to say calling it quits. Cause that seems like giving up, but just saying like, Hey, this has been cool. We're ready to transition to another phase.
2: I think after we did like two super hard, fast years of backpacking 33 countries in under two years, and again, it, we're like, if we're going to make this sustainable, like we'd already figured out how to travel affordably. That's why we're able to kind of keep stretching it. We're like, we're way under budget. We're learning so much. This is an invaluable experience. Thank you for the
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, all sorts of sharing economy stuff in there, too. Mm-hmm. And um, we're like, we're going to have to figure out how to slow it down. So we got into house sitting and that kind of helped us get our business on track by being like, yes, we have an office with a stable Wi-Fi connection. And but we're still on the move. We're now our office is in Portugal. Our office is in Honduras and we could kind of still get that travel craving satiated while getting some real work done. And I
1: think the, the biggest point there is that we didn't go from super fast to just super slow forever. We added slow travel as one of the tools in our travel arsenal. We also added RV travel. We also added house-sitting. We also added woofing, like all different ways that we could mix up our travel style. And now it like, because we know how to do all these things and travel affordably, like when we feel like, okay, we need to write a book. You know, we need to write Ultimate Journeys for two. Let's switch into house-sitting mode. We house-sat I think in 10 different countries to write that book at a month or a month and a half per sit. So we could sit down, crank on the book, travel for f- f- five days or a week, get over to Budapest, you know, house sit again for a month. So we have all these tools. So that the thing that I always like to tell people is don't think that you need to just have one style of travel and be like, oh, I'm a slow traveler. That's my thing. Or I'm a solo traveler that, or fast or whatever it is. Or I'm just a house sitter. To me, that's boring to be just that one thing but to kind of mix it up and we have the RV in the states so when we want to travel there we hop back there and drive off to a wedding and do some exploring and now we're in Mexico we just park it at long term storage so to be able to bounce between them I think is a skill that we've developed and it lets us
0: it keeps things fresh
2: too.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting cuz I used the word transition, right? And I was I was thinking transition back to normal quote unquote. We're going to use it normal life. I think people know what I mean by that. The hey, I've got a house and and even if you're, you know, an entrepreneur and you have your own job, but you're living in one place, but really you're saying, Hey, we do transition. We just transition between these different modes of traveling based on one, what we need to get done for work two, how we're feeling, like what we need for ourselves. And three, like what opportunities are presenting themselves?
1: hundred percent. And that like, it not only keeps us invigorated and refreshed. And people are always, their mind is blown like nine years of straight travel. I could never do that. But when you have these different styles and you're bouncing between other people's homes and we were just, you know, house sitting a villa in San Miguel de Allende, like a $1.5 million dollar villa in Mexico, which is huge. Um, and that was our home for a month and a half. Like that, that kind of thing breaks it up it keeps your mind fresh. It keeps you inspired to see new destinations and it never gets like overwhelming. Really. And
2: the funny thing about the RV is we move honestly about every one to two days, which seems psycho, but my house is the same the whole time. Mm-hmm. So we're moving, but my bed's there. I know where we're sleeping. I know how we're getting there. We have fridge and things. So it's like some level of continuity with adventure was like a, a perfect parent.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the RV because that's one of your main modes of, of traveling and one of the ones that you've done really well. And I've got to see Buddy and hang out and Buddy and and it's become a part of the family, right? And I think for a lot of people, as you mentioned, Dan, van life or RV life sounds more sustainable and more feasible because they're saying I still want creature comforts, right? And I understand if I house it, I can get these awesome places that will have everything I could ever want, but it's still someone else's. It's still new. Like I'm walking to a 1.5 million dollar mansion in Mexico. It's great, but I still don't know like which light switch turns what on and you know not not, yeah. not a big problem to have, but you're 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 constantly trying to figure it out, right? Whereas right. you guys with Buddy you're, you're right. You're like, well, here's my space where I sit and here's where I work. So when did you decide that that was going to be a part of of the honeymoon? And, and we'll get into kind of like the pros and cons of it, but it has obviously worked for you guys. So what are the reasons that you've decided that this is a huge tool in your toolbox that you keep going back to?
2: Well, to go back, we started RV, the first RV trip we did was in 2013 in New Zealand. And we're like, boom, this makes so much sense. Cause we, it was like you, to have everything rolled into one to feel like we'd be driving along some amazing coast and be like, let's stay here tonight. Like you could just kind of mm. make those decisions on the fly. And it felt like the ultimate freedom but you had all your stuff with you and you didn't need all the planning. Like we were kind of sick of going, oh, where are we sleeping tonight? And like book a hostel and, you know, planning, planning, Wake planning, RV is somewhere. much more free flowing. And especially when you can figure out boondocking and freedom camping and how to be off grid, then, you know, you can be totally autonomous.
1: And the other thing that we totally did not expect with RV travel for a know, and then we learned this in New Zealand, then we did it again in Ireland. We RV'd through Scotland and Northern Ireland. And, and we realized that RVing, unlike when you're a backpacker and you're reliant on buses and hostels and pensions, like and pensiones, like, those are usually in cities. So you're taking a bus from one city to the next city and it's a little more difficult. You can obviously hire, you can go trekking, which we did a lot, but you're not living in the woods. You're not spending nights in the woods. You know, people do obviously- just
2: to be hard to get in the, into nature. Exactly, when you're so we were
1: bouncing city from bus. city to city and city and still seeing beautiful landscapes and we'd go on little day trips. But then when we were in the RV, it was like, wow, we're in nature every single night we're in cities you know maybe one night a week to hang out on a friday night and you know hear some irish music or whatever but the other six nights we're out on the coast where we see a hiking trail and then we just sleep in the trail parking lot because they were cool with it so that connection with nature was kind of unexpected and addictive and like ann said when you when you can realize that that you can park out in nature and it's possible in the us even though people will tell you you got to be at a koa you got to go to a campground that's what I thought RV travel was, was just driving from campground to campground, plugging in your, you know, your electricity and hearing some dude's generator and what, you know, a guy playing shuffleboard. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. That's like for, you know, retired people. But this kind of wild camping, free camping out in the woods um, was just addictive. So we did, the, we did that a few times, like maybe four or five times on the first five years of our trip. And then five years in, in 2017, we were back in the States. And we were, you know, we were writing Comfortably Wild. So like to, or we just, we're talking to the publisher. So to write this book.
2: Which was our landing book.
1: Yeah. uh, They originally were like, hey, can you do it in like four to six months? And we were like, no, because we actually want to visit every property we write about. So we're going to need about two years to write this book and take this 1985 old vintage camper and drive all around Canada, U.S., Mexico, took a few flights to the Caribbean, and see these places with our own eyes, that's kind of what sparked the camper and wanting to explore the U S and more of our home country. So
2: and the yeah Canada and Mexico too.
0: Yeah. What is the toughest part about an RV? Because I, cause I mean, to me, I'm just listening. I'm like, this is perfect. Like I can't wait to get mm-hmm. the kids in RV. I can't wait to do a, a true on RV trip because all the positives that you mentioned of hey you just you don't have to plan as much and i and the us can be a little maybe a little more difficult maybe there's a little more planning but you know just getting being able to be autonomous get out there go see your stuff and and not have to worry about all this other stuff sounds great but there's obviously certain things that come up that you're like yeah all right like be aware of this especially you guys are in a 1985 uh, rv so like what if someone wants to go with an older school and they don't have a hundred and fifty K to drop on something new and fancy.
1: Oh exactly. Like our camper, the beauty and we always tell people like go vintage, get a used camper.
2: Go small. Go I'm small. The Buddy is actually yeah. only 21 feet long. So that's like a little bit longer than a suburban and about the same size as a sprinter. So it's funny that we it's called an RV, but it's almost the size of a larger ram.
1: But okay. you want to go bigger. I mean, a few tips on it, and, and I'll definitely give some some downsides, but you don't want to get an RV that's so small that it feels cramped, especially if you're going to full-time in it. A Sprinter, like the down, the upsides of the Sprinter are it's an and open we shell. Actually,
2: we can speak to them because we've literally tried maybe six different styles of camper van.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. But when you get into a Sprinter, one, it's pricey to even buy the shell. It takes a lot of time to retrofit it, and it's a little bit more cramped. Like when you get – those extra two or three feet and a little bit more on the height or the width um, that space goes a long way, but that you don't need to have a 45 footer like everybody's grandma thinks they need, you know, with a dishwasher and three slide outs and like all these things, because that extra space is so far not worth the fact that you can't go down half the dirt roads you want to. You can't boondock in the woods because you You need to be
2: pull into a normal grocery store very easily.
1: Exactly, You need to be at an RV park every day or two to plug in and recharge your fridge and all this stuff or your batteries. So your fridge works. So that 21 to 23 foot range is key and having solar on the roof. So you're fully self-sufficient. Those are like
2: back to size for a second though, is because, you know, I've seen sprinter models that, um, you have to convert, you say, your living area to your bedroom every night. We tried that through various different camper trips. We're like, that is such a pain in the butt. Mm. Like to to feel like there's so much setup and breakdown every day, just really is exhausting. So we knew we bought Buddy, which has an overcab sleeper, so our bed is our bed and our living room is our living room, and we can pick up and go in under five minutes, no matter where we are. There's no breakdown.
1: Or roll out a bed and just have coffee and have a view out the back and like our yeah. kitchen table. We can is set up. we've
2: windows in the back, which we love.
1: So some of the downsides like it is I mean obviously as we all know when you look at Instagram and you look at van lifers or you look at travelers you only see the good side of it you only see the the dreamy side that that story has been told ad nauseum and and some of the things you don't see you won't see in too many van lifers um, well van lifers and rv lifers are a slightly different crowd like van lifers kind of the much smaller vehicle a lot of times they don't have running water or a shower or a toilet which are three things I would highly recommend, especially if you're going with a family, like you want a flushing toilet and not to be, um, you know, sliding out a little cassette toilet um, and try and use that. Although that's fine for weekend adventures, but if you're going long-term, um, some of the some of the tricks on RV or, or well, the biggest downside is probably repairs. And even though we have probably more repairs than a brand new Sprinter, um, one, I can fix a lot of them because it's an older vehicle. So it's pretty analog. It's swapping in parts Two, any mechanic in any city in the U S can fix it because mm. it's a Toyota truck with a camper on top, you know, with a shell built into it. It's not, no computers. it's no computers. And it's also not this crazy RV where you pull into an auto mechanic. And he's like, I've never even heard of this vehicle. You got to go to an RV dealer. You go there and they're like, Oh, we can see you in two and a half months is our next appointment. And you're like, I'm only here for one day and I need to move on. Like, so having that older one, you might have to do a few more repairs, but they're going to be way cheaper. Anyone can do them. And hey, it's a repair. Like every three weeks or four weeks, maybe I stop into an auto parts store and pick something up or change spark plugs. So
2: And never you know. be able to like be per that going with the flow. Like something can go wrong at any given time. And having a mechanic who can see you exactly when you want in this town that you've never been to is like unrealistic. So it is really, it's a huge help to be handy and, you know, utilize your tools like YouTube is an incredible university for, you know, becoming a mechanic. So to be able to fix yourself because otherwise you could still be sitting in some podunk town waiting for your appointment but if you pull up your bridges and do a little research, like you can do a lot yourself, especially if it's a simpler
1: car, and to be adaptable, right? It's the same thing for travel as it is for RV. Like to be flexible, and this this experience had like we we were up in Prince Rupert in Canada, and we blew a head gasket, and simultaneously to that there was wildfire fires all through British Columbia, so parts couldn't get there. So we ended up living. In, but thankfully, we had our bed, we had our stove, and we had our shower. We lived for five days in the parking lot of a mechanic, not a mechanic. It was like a car dealer who took us under their wing. And you could look at that and say, oh, man, if I was on an eight day vacation, that would ruin my whole thing. One, you're not going to be if you're driving all we the way to British Columbia. We still trips
2: from that mechanic parking lot to like the most incredible bear sanctuary and the remote fjord from there. And Yeah, they would make us
1: brownies. They would like knock on the camper in the morning and be like, we made scones. Do you guys want scones? And they would bring me tea in the morning because they didn't have tea there. So they knew I drank tea. And like, so it, it just turns into... You gotta be able to turn it in and be open to it being a different experience and be flexible like that and not let things get you down because they will you know, like you know, folks will come and
2: Yeah, road. like we you know drove a camper into a ditch and we had to dig ourselves out and we're like, Well, you know, we have our wine and you know it's sunset, so I will deal with it in the morning. <laughs> so I told you the-
0: guys they're always partying, even when they drive <laughs> into a ditch. Even He's when they drive into a ditch. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, five days on a nine on a nine year trip, no big deal, right? Five days on a nine day trip. That's going to be a big deal. One of the things you guys talk about going to the flow and one of the things that we haven't had a chance to talk about that much is your experience in Europe during COVID and essentially getting trapped with an RV, not buddy, but a different RV um, in a country in Europe when COVID went down. So, Give everyone the little story about this because this is the epitome of, well, um, (laughs) we're going with the flow on this one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we we were actually invited to speak at a travel conference in Europe. So we we spent we we were in the southern tip of Baja doing a little road trip and left Baja, got on our flight. I think it was March third when we got our flight. Italy had had by then it had, had some uh, some cases, and so did Spain. But northern Europe seemed good. We were going up to Germany for ITB, and mid flight the conference got canceled. So as we landed, we opened up our phone and they were like, conference is canceled. And we had, we had a two month window or two and a half months until our return flight. So we're like, hey, let's just pick up a camper. So we reached out to this company, Indie Campers, who could not have been nicer, rented it for two and a half weeks or so, drove it into Poland, March 16th, borders closed all around us, like overnight, basically every border in Europe closed and we we're like
2: people are freaking out like trying to like repatriation flights and, oh like, yeah we're looking at our own flights and they're four thousand dollars and it's just so much panic and confusion and we're like you know what we're just we're just gonna keep on going we're just gonna like we're stay, strong. stay strong stay strong to the plan we have a camper therefore we have shelter we have a motor we have you know we can t- meet our basic needs it'll be an adventure and oh my goodness was it an adventure? Not a single campground was open. I mean, most water spigots were closed because it was still snowing. Um, Airbnb shut there down. were no. The airports had no, you know, upcoming flights. And we're like, let's just go super back roads. I hope Poland has thousands of lakes. Let's try and see them all.
1: And I'm part Polish, half Polish actually. So it was really cool to see some of the towns that my my mom was sending us towns where her grandparents were born in Poland. And pierogies were cheap, and we were just hanging out in the woods. And the people there could not have been nicer. Like they were so helpful. And you would think two travelers that don't speak any Polish, driving around in a you know indie camper branded RV, showing up at their door, they'd be like, "Oh no, don't bring that into my house." But they were the opposite. They were like, "Do you need anything? Like, here's bread. Oh, do you need to fill up water for your your fresh water tanks, or do you need to dump something like?" You know how can we help you and a this is all through Malachuk- google. Took
2: us in for like a week yeah and she's like you know i'll get you set up for um you know there, there's water in the back but no coffee come i mean vodka come on in so it, or how about pierogies and we wind up having these like involved dinners with her using through google translate the
1: google translate live mode where you just like set it on the table and we speak in english and it speaks it out loud in polish we were literally having i don't know if you ever used that one but usually i type it in and then i show it to the person, but there's a mode on there. It's called, I think it's called speech mode where you just set it on the table. And as long as you talk slowly and you give it time to think and then say it in Polish, which you got to teach the other people, you know, not to just blurt it out. But if you wait, we had like, we must've had three hour conversations and we don't speak, we probably spoke about 50 words of Polish by then. And our lady spoke about five words of English, but we were talking about politics, about her ancestors, about her kids
2: how to milk goats. We got right in there with the best of them. It was so
1: cool to just have a conversation and really go beyond just like, oh, can I sleep here? Or can I get water? Oh, this is delicious. Like, which is kind of as far as we went for a lot of years on our trip. But having that cell phone plan so that we could do this conversation was so cool and unique to talk with this old lady farmer whose dad or yeah. husband passed away and she was now running the farm. And the
2: and lesson on slow travel. Oh my goodness. We had nowhere to go, but to be exactly where we were. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'd wake up in the morning go, you know what, let's take 10 minutes and just listen to the birds. Let's not say anything and let's just, you know, Oh, and then when we're done, we're like, did you hear that woodpecker? And Oh my goodness. Did you see that? Like we had a new heightened level of awareness and appreciation because we had a freedom that we all took for granted. Everyone else was locked in their worlds, but we were still out and about and had just like, could not have appreciated that fresh air and beautiful scenery uh, like ever before because the pandemic was shutting the world down. So that really showed us the power of our being for sure.
1: And another lesson that Poland taught us, which we've kind of really never done to this extent before, and I think it's a rare traveler that does, we've never even thought of doing it, was to go to, we probably went to, let's say 100 to 150 different towns or villages in Poland, of which even Polish people had heard of like maybe 10 of them, you know, like the Warsaw, Krakow, Gdansk, like we went to all the big ones, which is a whole nother story about being an I am legend like traveler. We were like Will Smith walking through town squares with not even a single local in them. But that was a whole nother story. But To visit these small towns that no traveler like would ever go to was really unique. Like they were, they're not in any Lonely Planet book. You can't Google like what to do in random X Y Z town that's 400 miles from the nearest you know airport. But it was really cool to go to these places and interact with people where they you know. And people always tell you like, oh, my grandma when she went to China, they were you know they'd never seen a white person. Well, these towns have never seen a tourist. You know they're way out in the woods, and that was a really cool way to just kind of travel. And I think road trippers do that by going through places, but to do that in another country yeah. like Poland and, and just really get off the beaten track was, was really cool.
0: How did you guys wrap that up? Cause you were there for a while, right? Like two months, you-
1: two months in the woods. Okay. Yeah yeah
2: well we wrapped it up because that very kind camper company was like yeah you kind of need to give it back you sort of had it for about a month and a half longer than we talked about With uh, their approval they uh, every week they were, week they were like checking the
1: cdc or whatever their, you know your
2: safety matters first but at a certain yeah. point they kind of want their stuff back they were from another country so we had to basically like well how are we going to break across a closed border and you know germany being loving rules and such we were like pretty terrified, um, because there were even riots at the border the night before, because some of these, I mean, Europe is so fused anymore, that that border didn't really exist. We've we erased the borders for the most part in Europe, but the pandemic put them down hard again. So some people who like literally worked across the way, their sister was across the way, they were used to ebbing and so on like that, and then overnight they were torn apart, they couldn't get to their job, they couldn't see their family, and we're like, why are they going to let us over the border? But Anyhow, somehow, magically, we got a World letter from any campers. We got So we had all the paperwork together, but we just kind of crossed and no one said anything. Um, but then we had to give up the camper and it was like giving away our safety blanket. And we're like, no, what? Oh, God. And somehow they let us buy a ticket to get to Amsterdam where we ultimately were able to get a flight because we our flight got canceled three times. So we ultimately were like, OK, Amsterdam is like a sure thing. And we had a big project. We for sure was going to get canceled, but miraculously, this big uh, luxury safari tent company based out of Holland said, hey, if you can be here by Tuesday, our photo shoot that we want you to do is still on. We're like, okay, we just have to cross two borders illegally and be there in five days. No problem. But we did. We figured it out. And we had this amazing um, glamping photography social media project across six glamping camps in the Netherlands, which were all still open because glamping is such like a social distancing, you know, open space, COVID friendly kind of thing that we were able to carry on.
0: Let's talk about glamping a little bit, because it it certainly is something that I think has started to really pick up some momentum, mainstream momentum, let's call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your book, playing a big part in that and and this idea of people wanting to get out in nature i mean covid playing some part in that as well because now we know people are like let me get in nature let me go to the ocean mountains whatever i you know not that we don't want to be in cities ever again but certainly uh more distance the better at this point and, uh-huh. and glamping is at that forefront so what got you guys into glamping and how did you kind of how did you become the face of glamping to some degree
2: Oh,
1: that's very kind of you. Um well one, we Hopefully we it's started- Anne's face is, that's the
0: face of the <laughs> and not mine. Well, I, yeah, I mean this isn't a video podcast, but I think everyone uh-huh. can assume it's Anne who's the face and not mine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when we were honeymooning around the world, we were trying all sorts of different travel styles and but well, because we're adventurous honeymooners, we liked that glamping had, you know, this ability to get into nature while having some of those comforts. We first tried it in Patagonia. We were in these amazing geodesic domes at the foot of Torres del Paine, and we were so remote, yet we had, you know, a really comfy bed and fabulous meals at the end of the day of like hiking glaciers. It just felt that much more rewarding. And then the people who were running these camps, like always seem to just be incredibly inspiring. One, they have a real, you know, they're trying to be more sustainable. Glamping is very cool in that it's, it t- kind of stems from nomadic dwellings and being able to pick up camp and try lightly on the land, work with the landscape instead of cutting it down to create your, your big box hotel. We really liked that connection with nature and the environment on a greater level. Um, and then we just started doing more and more and more of it and writing more about it. And then Falcon Guides, our publisher of Comfortably Wild, um, said, you know, what you guys have been doing a lot about glamping and there hasn't been a formal guide. There's a lot of confusion about the word glamping, glamorous camping. It's like not the best description of that. And it there was a lot of interest in it, yet there was a lot that needed to be cleared up. Where did this style come from? Like, uh, you know, it's it's actually just did it start
1: with hipsters at Coachella. No,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, we can go back to like. You know native americans and mongolians moving around with yurts to you know moving whole kingdoms and then bringing their lavish things as they were moving across their Just ottoman the empire and,
1: Africa more recently
2: yeah to then so we wanted to tell the bigger story of glampang and then also the really interesting people behind it because we were really inspired that they were all really heartfelt someone sharing a piece of family land someone having a big idea to like build tree houses like at the, you know, and be able to zip line between them, like real adventurous types and creative types.
1: And two other things that, that make us really love glamping. um, One that I I was thinking a lot more about it over the last week uh, we spent at a glamping camp called Playa Viva down here in Mexico. And the people who go glamping are self-selecting, right? They're self-selecting nature lovers. They're passionate about it. Like the amount of conversations we had over dinner and drinks and, swinging in the hammock with people about like, how are we gonna solve deforestation? And oh, you, you work on like watershed projects and this one guy is going all around the world helping people like you know communities rebuild their watersheds and remove pollution from the rivers and stuff and like such interesting things right you're not just yeah, sitting the there like the oh I'm a banker and I'm a neurologist like you would be at like an uber fancy all-inclusive
2: and that's like, fine too because if you do meet a banker or a neurologist they're there because they also appreciate nature and they appreciate adventure mm-hmm. and the, and you know good conversation and and so yeah we just started and then we started writing this book and um and we found in- limb love with glamping even more because we got so entrenched in, with the different adventures and the, uh, trying different styles on I think that's one thing about clear about glamping is it's like creativity is boundless, right? It's all about a freestanding accommodation in nature and something that connects you with your surroundings. So it could be a tree house, a, you know, a it could be, I mean, some things are literally beyond explanation, like, you know, a bubble tent in a tree. It's, um, it's all about trying new things.
0: So is that how you define glamping? Then what I, I'm not going to say exactly what you just said. I want you to say it again, and But like a free, a freestanding. Go ahead. You 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 put it well. Is that your definition of what would constitute glamping?
2: Glamping is people use that word all around. So how we de- de- define it yep, was I it? want
0: Honey Trek's definition of glamping.
2: Okay, it has to be a comfortable accommodation. So you're not going to be sleeping on the ground. It's got to be a creative structure, and it's freestanding. So, like, that it be a treehouse or a GSU dome, um, and or
1: even a small cabin. It Could
2: Good. be a small as cabin. As long as you're
1: not part of like a 12-unit, you know, hotel. It's you have your own. Your own accommodation.
2: That it's got it's, you know, it treads lightly on the land so that it's thinking about sustainability and working with the environment. And for us, it became about, you know, the inspiring people because there's a lot of like vacation rental style glamping. No, there's anything wrong with that. And but we think glamping, it's it's you can go the best of glamping is in the engaging experiences. So that's the other quality. Engaging experiences, trying new things in nature, interesting people, and um. And when it came to COVID, yeah, it became about like, yeah, having as much sort of open space and time time to connect with family and friends.
0: And as a proud owner of Comfortably Wild, the book that you guys have mentioned, and someone who attended the Comfortably Wild book launch party. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, oh, I, I, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I could say that, that yeah, it is crazy inspiring uh, to read through that and to see the just how many different, unique options are out there. I just want you guys to pick a few favorites. Like give me, I'm, I'm not going to give you a number, but just throw out a few favorites of the of the ones that you guys went to that you're like, this is an experience. Like, like <laughs> if you only focus on a few and and you could only go back to a few or someone could only go to a few glamping things, where should they be going?
1: Well, I'll, we'll just throw out some random ones because, um, you know, you can't pick, pick favorites just like picking your favorite kid or your favorite country, but... Uh, one that popped into mind because we've been thinking about this couple lately um it's two two ladies uh, a couple and they started a uh they bought a farm called willow wit in oregon and they bought it to kind of reclaim the land like it was kind of going downhill it was deforested and a lot of the species had been moved on or hunted off so they bought this huge swath of land it was like 10 times what they originally wanted to purchase but they got a great deal on it they bought it in the snow like almost sight unseen And then they turned it into this glamping camp where you can actually work the land if you want. You can volunteer, pick veggies in the garden. They do the whole farm to table. They show you where the food comes from. And then one of my favorite things, especially for the families listening, but we loved it even just as a couple. You can go trekking with goats. You can do like a whole day trek with goats and have lunch up in the hillside. And these goats are basically like Labradors. They just rub up on you. They want to get Mm -hmm. scratched like and they'll just lay down next to you and you read a book and like it was cool doing like this goat trekking, but they were a cool inspiring couple.
2: Absolutely. And you know, they have a big education piece where they want kids to understand, you know, where food comes from. I think we can we've become really disconnected from that. So farm stays have their own chapter in the book actually, because mm-hmm. it is to be able to like be a part of that process for adults to kids and you know, harvest your vegetables to then go like do a barbecue with it or a farm okay. table dinner.
1: There's us. You guys listening can't see it but that's us with Jeez. goats like just climbing all over our glamping <laughs> set in the woods they, they
0: were so friendly though. Um, i do love food? that you guys have the book right in front of you that is awesome that it's right we're,
2: there. we're back back in mexico right now so we you know you had to pick what you choose but we reference this book all the time
0: yeah, um because around. we were
2: just uh we just gave a brief mention to it but playa villa because we we're there like yesterday is like very much on the mind so where we slept last night It was actually on the cover of Travel Leisure this month. Not just because they're such a cool structure, but because they are thinking beyond sustainability into regenerative travel. Not just how do I sort of have a lower impact? How am I? How is my impact improving this place? Let's work with the community. Let's let's see what that you know what was this land intended to be? Let's bring back native species. Um, So where we stay though, so it has a very you know beyond feel good approach like. It's, it is, uh, but in terms of, oh yeah, they have a turtle sanctuary is like on their land. So we literally released 147 baby turtles yesterday. Like, oh my goodness. What an experience they had just hatched like the hour before and we like sent them out to sea. I mean, really powerful experiences like that. And then on the fancy side, we stayed in a tree house that was made of hundreds of bamboo poles. So it's almost like a tubular treehouse. It's like this sort of a uh, long spherical thing, yeah. cylindrical, and it's got an in-ground hammock and it is just like looks straight out to the sea. And so you're falling asleep to the waves crashing and it was totally magical. So- Okay, so
0: that's Playa Via.
2: Viva like
0: Viva. Playa Viva, Viva. Playa Viva. Yeah. in where in Mexico
2: it's um the nearest city of Zihuatanejo it's like a few hours north of Acapulco on the Pacific coast
1: awesome all right yeah. I, I know where go. I'm heading Asheville glamping um is in South Carolina so that's not uh south right or is it North Carolina North Carolina, north Carolina. and yeah. it's uh
2: what's cool about that is that you know within the same camp they have different structures you could try so you even if you were doing local glamping for you that's in your neighborhood now you could keep going back and try something new every time you're like oh tonight yeah we do want to try the half but next time we're going to do the airstream or next time we're going to do the geodesic dome so it's Ah, kind of like you can constantly be changing your experience even without you know changing up the camp
0: oh that's that's pretty neat yeah that's cool like it's a buffet of glamping right it's uh, okay Uh, guys comfortably wild Go get the book. I I mean, it is worth every single penny times 10 just for the pictures, the stories. Why don't we actually just give everyone a little behind the scenes look at how the book came about? Because like you said, it was years in the making and it, it blew me away. Like, I know you guys do good stuff, so don't get me wrong. But I remember looking at the book and thinking, whoa, like this is top, 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 top notch. So tell people everything that went into it.
2: Oh, I mean, it was truly a journey, you know, the fact that we sort of committed that many years of our life to do this properly, because you could Google best glamming destinations and there are so many results. But you look closer, and they're all talking about the same places because the same places that have the big marketing budgets, who have the pretty photography, and that they're sort of the fanciest. But to us, it wasn't and people, about. And
1: the people writing those articles are not even visiting it. They're emailing no. them and saying, hey, can you give me like your five best photos so I can include it in this roundup of like right. best 10 glamping, best 10 glamping in California? They're not even going there and meeting the people, meeting the owners, meeting the guests. We knew there was the so much
2: behind it. And we actually even, you know, just to kind of be like, okay, it was, you know, everybody said this place is the best we'll go. And we went there and it, it wasn't always a win because they didn't have heart. It really came down to places with heart and a story and you were doing it for the right reasons, was connecting people uh, with nature and each other. And so, yeah, some of the fanciest places that you think would be shoe-ins didn't have the right vibe. For us, it was all about that good vibe. And, um, that and yeah, and trying new things. I mean, we have some places in here where there's, for example, the in motion chapter, the in motion chapter is where you're going from camp to camp. So the journey is the whole experience. So maybe it's river rafting between camps. Or maybe it's, you know, just main huts and trails, depending on the season, you could be fat biking there, snowshoeing, canoeing, hiking, um, or mountain biking between them. So it's kind of, it's the whole experience that each night is you're in someplace new. So um, we like, the, oh, one of them, you're driving covered wagons between camps and- I saw that up. one. Yeah, yeah, your, your cowboy TVs each night and, and fire learning about like the history of the West from the guys who were from the family, who led the first covered wagon journey in the 1800s after having lived with Native Americans to learn the routes. I'm like, it runs deep, man, it runs deep. And we wanted those kind of stories because they are out there to be told and it wasn't about the prettiest town in the woods.
1: And I think like for us, the this sustainability side of glamping, the fact that it is such a, a small footprint on the land that these proprietors and owners of these glamping camps want to do more than just have you stay in a tent and take an Instagram photo. They want to connect you with their farm. They want to connect you with the beach. They want to connect you with this mountain, with this 50 acres, you know, that you can go mountain bike in or horseback ride in. Like, they want to show you this land. They also want to protect the land. So there's a very usually small area where the glamping tents are, and then the rest is all nature. And to us, that, like, resonated with us so much. And we want to we wanted to promote these people and, and like Anne said, do the heavy lift of, What is glamping? Like, it's not just a fedora and some s'mores, you know, and a a pretty tent. Like, that's, it's not that cliched thing that, like, you tell, you know, the macho boyfriend, like, hey, we're going glamping. And he's like, oh, no, like, hell no. You know, that's for the girls' trip. No, it's like a way to connect with the land, to connect with unique people, have those experiences. And that's the side of glamping that we wanted to show, to promote, to help define And kind of get out there, so that's why we did the. And because
2: there's so much confusion about glamping, and some people think it's rustic, and some people think, oh my god, it's going to be four thousand dollars, and I can't even touch that. Mm -hmm. We wanted glamping to be, and it Mm -hmm. is, at it's best about inclusivity. You don't need outdoor experience to do this. You don't need the gear. You don't need to have grown up learning how to fish or light a fire. You can just get out there. So we love. Millionaire either. You know, even if you're like a totally, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles. I didn't grow up kit camping at all least outdoorsy dad award, Uh, love him to pieces. We just didn't do that kind of thing.
1: And And I did grow up outdoors and hiking and pitching mountain 10 at like eight years old with my brothers and like spending two days like hundred yards from my house. Like, I mean, I grew up doing that and we both love it. Right? Like we're coming from two extremes and it's a great place to meet, which like is perfect for couples or families. Like it's kind of, it's inclusive whether you're a city person who's never been in the woods or the biggest backpacker, you know, drinking out of a life straw in a stream, you know, on a 10 day trek in the Adirondacks, like both people can love it. You just need, you know, you just need to try it and, and see that it's that great equalizer. And then you could take all the stress of packing and setting up tents and put it towards your energy of doing a 10 mile hike with your family, as opposed to arguing about who had a bad night's sleep. And I want to go get a hotel because this sucks. And, you know, so I think it's good in, in all sorts of levels.
0: I love I love that you threw the fedora wearers under the bus, but you do love a good hat, Mike. So you do And no, like, it has
1: a fedora, you know, any good glamper does, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you guys talked a lot, and I love the term that you used about your, your travel toolkit, right? And we talked about RV travel. We talked about glamping. We talked about some slow travel, sometimes out of necessity. Uh, what you guys are in Poland? Uh, obviously, you guys have done quite a bit of fast travel, you've done road trips, you you just got done one on Route 66 and taken all all of Route 66. I mean, we could recount everything in your toolkit and be here another hour, hour and a (laughs) half. But I want to ask you guys, what are some things coming up, like, or what are some things that you haven't done that you're saying, hey, this is a type of travel that we'd like to try out, that we'd like to add into our toolkit and and get some experience with?
2: So this is uh, not official yet, but we're going to dream big and think positive is our first book, ultimate journeys for two might go into a second edition, which would be amazing because while that, you know, book covers, you know, 70 different destinations across seven continents, you know, we, it doesn't, there are regions of the world we're dying to get to. So, it would kind of be our second chance to one Adam, the amazing place we've been to in the past four years since you wrote the book, and also take the next couple of years to sort of fill in the globe to some of the regions that we know we want to visit, like Central Asia, like been dying to get to Georgia and Uzbekistan. Um, we love Africa, but really have only done the East side. We go to the West side this time, check out more of the Arctic regions. We haven't done as much in the South Pacific actually which, just which
1: leads me to a style of travel that's like some destinations which we're super stoked about always like any traveler but one of the styles of travel which we have not done but we've been talking about for the last nine years of, of this trip is to get on a sailboat and hit some islands like do do more than just like a three or four day you know live aboard which we've done that throughout Southeast Asia and you know through the Great Barrier Reef and love a good live aboard scuba trip because that's If you're a scuba diver, you got to do liveaboards because you just crush, you know, you'll just be in the water every day. But to to be on a sailboat and visit islands and actually spend a few weeks Uh, or even a few months.
2: I'm not going to say we're going to like cross the Pacific, you know, next year. But um, yeah, (laughs) it's it's a great skill to have. And I think the RV world and the sailing world actually have a lot in common because you know how to live off grid and be resourceful. Um, So yeah, definitely some sailing in the South Pacific.
0: Yeah, I, I was wondering... As I was asking the question, I'm trying to think like what could they add to that toolkit? Sailing would be one, Um, and definitely one that for me too is like, yeah, I don't need to become the world's best sailor. I don't even probably ever need to do a solo trip, but to have that skill set and to just say, well, I I I understand it, I could do it. Um, You know, I'm all about. I think at this point in my life, you know, all of us are similar ages. It's just how can we how can I add life skills into my toolkit? Like not just travel skills, but that, that's part of it, but also these life skills, like things that you've always wanted to learn or, or maybe not even always wanted to learn, but you're like, you know, I'm at this age, like I, I could still do this. Like before I get too old, let me go and, and learn some stuff. Yeah. Um, so sailing sounds, sounds pretty cool. I want to let you guys out of here with this question. Uh, I didn't prep you for this. Usually I tell people I'm going to ask you, but I, I'm wondering if you have two different answers. When I when I ask this, I just want your gut reaction. What is your biggest travel mishap? This, this one is
1: honestly like, I'm going to, we'll give Anne a moment to think, but this one's always so tough for us because, and I'm not even saying this to be cliched or make people think travel is amazing. Because like, we fail
2: so often they all blend together? or they all- <laughs> Either we
1: fail so often that we think we never, that there's never any fails or mishaps, or we just kind of let them all roll. Um, but like, We've never had anything stolen from us. We've like missed buses and and done some that was actually a mishap. You could tell that one in Peru where we missed where we went to the where we took the yeah, bus yeah. to the wrong place yeah, like yeah. a whole day bus to the wrong place but um you you tell that story because So uh, the
2: Peru story is ago when comes full circle where it's like yeah you know you're reading the guidebook but maybe you kind of read it wrong and you got off the wrong town And well the next bus is in for the next 12 hours but you know you're so close to the deepest canyon in south america yet you're just you, you can't make it there like you just totally messed it up and so we're so mad at ourselves and we're like oh man now we're in this random town how do I make this work and, and we
0: spent the,
2: the money to get there but that can't you know we're just going to suck it up and we're going to like hire a driver and, and do it which is unlike us but we're like we still got to catch the bus out of here at the end of the day. So that was the only way. And we get in this cab and nice local guy. He's actually training to be a tour guide. And um, next thing you know, cows are coming across the road. This whole thing is like taking forever. A massive funeral parade goes by. And, you know, then we round another bend, and there's a huge party in the street. We're like, what is going on? And it's like the gorgeous embroidered dresses and like a very traditional local party. And they're really not parting the sea. We're kind of the drivers like inching forward, friendly, you know, waving. They're not moving. This lady knocks on my window. She's like, you may not pass until you dance. In Spanish. In Spanish. And we're like, I guess we're staying then. And so then someone puts some huge mug of corn chicha beer in my hand. And, and I got a
1: guy pouring me little shots in a little plastic cup.
2: Oh, my goodness. So then we're like literally having this like doing the leg kicks and we're learning the dance moves and we're drinking, all sharing the same mug. Um, and wind up having the best time ever. And so this what should have been a travel fail was like a total travel win to be adopted by this, you know, dancing elderly, elderly Peruvian party. And so that's kind of think, why we think we have so few fails is that stuff goes wrong all the time. We just kind of like whatever comes our way, like learn to make something of it and keep on that.
1: And I think that's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of our motto with, with long, and as I'm thinking of fails, like the only things I can come up with is like, yeah, we, we got to the bus station, We did this happen in in Rio de Janeiro. Like we got to the bus station at 11 for an 1130 bus. And the next day was daylight savings time. So at two in the morning, the next day, the time was changing. We knew that, but it was still 1130 that day. And we got there and they said, oh, your bus left an hour ago. And we're like, daylight savings isn't until tomorrow. And they were like, no, no, we did it tonight because like just to get everybody ready and the bus drivers can get home early and go to sleep We're like. So now what? And they're like, oh, there's a bus at like 8 a.m. And I'm like, it's 11 at night and I'm in Rio. So we ended up like sleeping on the floor in the Rio bus station. But now we laugh about that. And we were on patrol one, you know, because it's Rio and like during Carnival. So like one of us would stay up and then like three hours later, we'd be like, you got to wake up. I got to go to bed. And then we ended up like both sleeping on each other's shoulders with like our bags tied around our waist, you know, but we
2: just show up for a flight one month early once
1: true we did that too <laughs> one <laughs> month that
0: that's okay there, there well, you go. know I, the
1: dates get switched the dates get switched in asia so it's like 11 12 over there is december 11th it's not november 12th but yep. the, the website we booked it on was the u.s version and then it all got married <laughs> okay. yeah so it happens but you just gotta roll with the punches out there and you you make the best of it and you laugh about it and that's the beauty oh. of long-term travel you know
0: that's the beauty. And I told you, you guys are always partying without you even thinking about it. You're like, hey, there, here's our mishap. And we ended up at a Peruvian party. <laughs> I, not hard for me to believe. Um, <laughs> awesome, hey, guys. Well, sure it's, I know. I that's the beauty. So Mike, if you go- note for the audio and everyone listening as Mike and Anna have been telling stories, they've been pulling up both of their books and <laughs> showing the pictures of these events in the books. So I, that's going to lead into, I want you to tell people how to get them. I want to tell you guys, thanks for joining me today for, for finally getting you guys on the show. It's taken us a few years to coordinate <laughs> schedules and all that, but remind people how they can find you, and also then, all right, if they want Comfortably Wild, that's the glamping book. As I told you, I've got that book. It's awesome. And the other one, Ultimate Journeys for Two, which is a, it's about the best couples trips in the world, the one that you referenced, and might get a second edition. Um, I have that book as well. It's also awesome. Where should they go to get that? stuff? what's the easiest thing for them to do?
1: three places to get them um, and they're all they're all impactful in a different way if you want a signed copy you can go to honeytrek which is dot com and in the navigation you can click glamping book or, or
2: write your little note and yeah. send it as a gift or, so if you
1: want a signed copy from us that you know that's that's a great way to support if you want to get it quick and maybe a little bit cheaper amazon.com has both books if you get it there all we ask is you drop a little one second re- one sentence review on there. And then if you want to support your local bookshop, and this goes for any book, not just ours, but if you go to bookshop.org, you can buy either book and choose your local bookshop and they'll send a portion of the proceeds to your shop in, you know, wherever it is, North Carolina, California, Oregon, wherever you live. So those three ways to get the book um, Honey Trek across all social, you know, every platform you just type in Honey Trek and send us a message, let us know you heard us on the podcast. Uh, and then if anybody does want some, some little help planning a long-term trip or doing full-time in the RV or doing some mileage hacking or just finding out how we execute this crazy life of travel on such a a low budget. We're about, we're down to about $15 a day per person right now, including flights and lodging and food. So that's all at honeytrek.com slash trip coach and we'll yeah help you guys get on the road.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys. We will link all that up in the show notes. I love that bookshop.org. I didn't even, I didn't know that existed. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to push people go, if you can do that, um, with those local bookshops or go get a signed copy from Mike and Ann. Mine signed. Just say, if you want to be, a, coach, <laughs> get a sign. I got mine signed at the launch party, but, uh, you know, I just keep, keep, uh, riding your coattails guys. Um, but thank you both thank so you much for, for, for tuning in. It was absolutely awesome. Thank you guys.
1: Oh, Dude, so much yeah, fun. thanks so much for having us on. It was awesome, and uh, yeah, thanks to all the audience for listening in, and we'll see you guys on the road. Yeah,
0: thank you, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in for the support that makes us one of the top-rated travel podcasts. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I saw you on my way through.
1: On my way. I saw you, and I'll see you again someday